Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Charitable Georgia. Brought to you by Bees Charitable Pursuits and Resources. We put the fun in fundraising. For more information, go to beescharitablepursuits.com. That's B-E-E-S, charitablepursuits.com. Now, here's your host, Brian Pruitt. Good, fabulous Friday morning. It's another fabulous Friday with three more fabulous guests. For those of you listening in and it's your first time listening, this is Charitable Georgia. This is about all positive things happening in your community. So um, I want to thank Sharon for stepping in for Stone. Um, so sweet. Gotcha. To, I'm happy uh, to do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, just thanks for being here. Oh, Because I, I can't pleasure. run the board, so we'd be in real trouble if it was just me. So, Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I've got, uh, like I said, three fabulous guests that all have some great stories to share about what they're doing in the community and what they've done in the community and um, so we're going to start this morning with a guy that I've known for about 10 years and he's very patient cause he puts up with me. So, uh, Dave Young with command wealth. Thanks for being here. And for, for, for some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, comp, what is it? I have no idea. Well, I have to read this for compliance. Compliance, compliance is the word okay. I was looking for. So, uh, this is compliance for him. All securities through money concepts, capital court member, Finra SIPC, Command Wealth Management is independent and not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Core. So, again, Dave, thanks for being here this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, uh, like I said, you're with Command Wealth. You're a, a financial advisor. You've been my advisor for 10 years. And uh, like I said, it's he's really patient for putting up with me for 10 years. Wow, I'm surprised that he's still still around. So I'm still here. Yeah. So, so are you. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. So, uh, so Dave is also uh, a, a, a well, he still serves in the Army National Guard. He's a major, so thank you for your service. He spent years in the Army as well, and um, so that's great in itself, but you have a passion for helping people, obviously, and a passion for veterans, so give us your story, and then you can talk about what you do with Command Wealth. Yeah, um, so as you said, I'm, I'm still in the National Guard. Um, I got my 19-year notice last week, so that was great, so oh, one wow. more year, and we'll uh, finally retire. Yeah, thanks. I know my wife's ready for it too. <laughs> um, yeah, so we spend a lot of time in in active military. Um, I grew up in Columbus, Georgia, so at Fort Benning. I joined the Army to see the world, and I got stationed at Fort Benning. Um, well, some so, people, that is the world. Yeah, it is. Um, so we moved up here probably about 10, no, about 12, 13 years ago, um, and we were active duty guard at the time, which is what brought us back up here. And um, we had just, my son had just been born, and I was gone, came home, I was gone, came home, and my wife and I decided let's let's take a step back and um, just do kind of the, the traditional guard piece. And that's when we started the financial planning business and when I met you. So I think it's really cool because I won't tell you who he was with before, but he wasn't happy with who he's with. And he just thought that, that the way that customers were being handled, he wanted to be better for those, for those clients. And so he went out on his own. So it's just awesome the way you, you treat those folks. So, uh, where is Command Wealth based? So we're based in Cobb County, um, but it's uh, the pandemic was actually a great um, light of this. Is we're all over the country, so we have clients um, all over. We work obviously we work a lot with veterans. Um, so anytime one of them moves to a new base, we get licensed in the new state. 
Um, so we're, we're all over, but we're based here in Cobb. So what made you decide to get into financial planning? Because I know you've told me in Columbus you guys had a marketing business, right? And you help businesses grow with that as well. So how did you get, do go that into financial planning? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, as you said, we had a, a business in Columbus. Um, we had gotten out of active duty when I was stationed down at Benning. Um, and we had a small business startup. So we would help companies write their business plans. We'd write their marketing plans. We'd do financial projections. Um, and we decided to start that in 2009. So if you remember what happened in 2008, yep. 2009, um, that's a really hard business to have when no one's starting businesses. Um, so kind of with that background, when I was looking at getting out again um, and wanting to start something, my career in the military has been very heavy in operations and planning. Um, so it was a natural fit to kind of take the corporate side because the Army still is a corporation, um, taking the corporate side and then bring that down to more of a, a individual level. So we do a lot with individuals and, and small business owners because of that. I know you uh, enjoy helping small business owners and you're very involved with the community and networking as well. And you also at one time were, uh, you're a past president for the Married Business Association, correct? I am past president. Yeah. yeah. 2020. You, that was another <laughs> time. Well, you like those years, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you run a business association during your pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> It was great. My job was just to make sure it didn't go under. For those who don't know about the Married to Business Association, can you share about that and the purpose, what it, what, they, what you all do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Married to Business Association, um, similar to other associations in the cities, um, is it's it's a group of business owners, um, like-minded individuals that want to get together, um, share business, refer business out, uh, just build relationships in the community. Um, can you share your story as far as your military career, what you did before you got out of active duty man 19 years brian um you, you did a lot right uh, yeah we did a lot so um i was in the infantry uh, i was in the airborne so we spent about 10 years jumping out of airplanes teaching people how to do that um to a certain extent um when we came up here i i commissioned as an officer um through the there's a every state has their own program so we commissioned as an officer here um, and then went to the cavalry. So I was a, a scout, a recon scout. Um, did that for a number of years. And now I'm actually at, uh, it's called officer candidate school. So uh, any student or any soldier that wants to become an officer in the guard, we teach them, we teach and assess and evaluate their leadership abilities. So some go on, some don't. That would explain why he puts up with me because he jumped out of airplanes. <laughs> right, You're not right. afraid of anything. Exactly. <laughs> so I always got these confused, but I'd like for you to share the difference between the Army National Guard and the Reserves because, uh, you know me, I kept getting confused. Will you share the difference? Um, yeah, the basic difference. So the, the Army Reserves um, is a part of the active Army component, essentially. So um, when the Army deploys, the Reserves are there to backfill, more or less. And if anyone listening is in the Reserves, and I butchered that, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but the National Guard's a little bit different. So they have two missions, one's for the state. Um, so in this case, the state of Georgia. So when there's hurricanes or snowstorms or uh, anything, COVID, they did COVID response. Um, or the riots that happened, remember, we had the National Guard out. So you have the state mission, but then they're also a deployable unit. Um, so you'll deploy overseas, um, essentially backfill other active duty units there too. So right now the Guard is in multiple countries all over the world. People don't really realize that. So I always like to ask this. Why is it important for you to be part of the community? Because you're out networking. You're also, again, still active with the, the reserves in your business. But why is it part, important to be part of the community? Because you are, you are out doing a lot of things. 
Right. I mean, given what we do um, in financial planning, a lot of that is, is built on trust. Um, so it's being out in the community, building relationships, working with others, and um, just being active and being seen because my business is here. My kids go to the same school as other kids and play sports with other kids. So uh, it's just important to be a part of that, build those relationships. The other thing I'd like to ask is because I know uh, even I at one time there was always a stereotype, and I guess there still is, about financial planners um, I know there's good ones. I know there's bad ones. Um, can you share something that might take away that stereotype? Yeah, it's it's really just being willing to go and sit down and, and ask. Um, some people think that if it's going to cost money just to come and sit down across the table from us, and that's not really true. Um, I mean, everybody has their own unique goals. There is no one size fits all. So it's really just the willingness to have an open conversation. That's what I like because Dave will sit down with you and, and share and look at what you are as an individual or a family, what's going to be best for you uh, from now until you're ready to, you know, even time you get into the grave, right? Because you also do life insurance. Mm-hmm, we do. You know, so, you're, you know, you're taking care of, of all of that. And, um, again, I also like the fact that um, you can go to him. You can, you know, he'll come to you if need be. Um, I'm sure you do things on Zoom if need be. So uh, very accessible. So um, you said you, you've – you got a, your family, right? You have two kids now, right? I do. I have two kids. And they keep you running, I'm sure. All the time. Yeah. Want to share about your family? Yeah. So married for 20 years, um, two kids. Uh, my wife was with me before we joined the Army, and it's definitely a we thing. Um, so she's been along for the for the whole ride. So uh, I have a nine-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. Um, they'll both be turning 10 and 6 here soon. So They're the yeah. ones running the family. The littlest one thinks she is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, is there any advice, you know, I don't know if you can do this with compliance or not, but is there anything that you can share with somebody just just thinking about the financial stuff? Can can you – maybe somebody who's thinking about it who's never worked with somebody in your industry, just something for them to be prepared about and think about for their – basically their future? Yeah, great question. Um, so there's so much noise uh, in the markets, whether, you know, regardless of whatever news channel you listen to or what you may read on the internet or you hear from friends or family, um, there's so much information out there. Uh, it's really just focusing on what you can control. Um, at the end of the day, money is just the tool. Um, it's not the end game. Um, so just being to sit down with someone and help put those pieces together uh, is really the kind of the key kind of control what you or focus on what you can control. I mean, are there, uh, there uh, Difference. I'd like for you to share this difference because I know there there are differences, and somebody may be thinking there's an IRA and a Roth IRA. Um, can you share the difference from those two? Yeah. So a traditional IRA um, is a retirement account. It's a pre-tax retirement account. So the money that you put into that um, goes in pre-tax. So you get essentially a tax deduction for the year. So I'm just making a number up. Say you put three thousand dollars in. That's a $3,000 tax deduction that you get. And then in retirement, when you pull the money out, then you pay ordinary income tax. Uh, Roth is actually the opposite. So it's post-tax. You don't get a tax deduction this year, um, but that 3000 has grown to whatever. And when you come into retirement, you pull it out, it's tax-free. Is there a specific, a specific age that you think people should start with a plan? Yes. Any age. Any age? <laughs> it's never too early. It's never too late. So I'm guessing, obviously, it'd be 18 and up, right? Because a 15 year old probably is not. I don't know. Do you work? You can't work with a minor, can you? Um, actually, there are ways to do it if minor yeah. has income. I mean, my first job was at a grocery store when I was 13. So, 
um, there, there are, there are options out there. Okay. Good to know. I need to get my kids to you. <laughs> um, and you said there's no, uh, age too old to start. So I'm guessing you can, you know, if, if somebody's, you know, 80, 90 years old and they don't have a plan, you can still do something. I mean, it's it's, it's very... going to be tough. Um, yeah. So the earlier you start, the better, but, um, at least at that point to your, to your point, if you're in the eighties or nineties, it's, it's just knowing what the next step looks like. You probably have to know what you're asking too, when you're that age. So, right. I know sometimes I don't know what I'm asking. So, um, all right. If somebody wants to get a hold of you for your service, how can they do that? Yeah. Great question. Um, so you can go to commandwealthmanagement.com uh, is our website. We're on LinkedIn. Um, so David Young on, on LinkedIn and on Facebook as well. We have the command wealth management page is a good way to get there. All right. So again, for compliance purposes, all securities through money concepts, capital court member, finer and SIPC command wealth management is independent and not affiliated with money concepts, capital core. So Dave, thanks for coming and sharing a little bit of your story and uh, mind sticking around for these next two stories. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you. Now we're moving over to John McKenzie who owns performance plumbing at a ball ground. John, thanks for coming this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, you and I sat down and I learned some things about you and it's an incredible story as well that you don't have a plumbing background and something you chose to get into. And then you, you really, really do try to help people, not just here, but we'll get into that for a second in, in a minute, but share your story, how you got into into plumbing. So yeah, we, uh, I started my career in the motorcycle industry doing uh, various things from motorcycle repairs and running parts departments and stuff like that at some local dealerships. And then uh, kind of just decided that we wanted to go and try it on our own, me and my wife. Um, and so we branched off and started our own little shop here in uh, Woodstock. And that was a lot of fun for a time period. And then it was got where it was not as much fun for us anymore. And we saw an opportunity to um, kind of liquidate some of the company and, and buy into part of a plumbing company that actually belonged to a regular customer of ours. And, and he was in the plumbing business. He said, why don't you just get into the plumbing business? I never even thought of it. Never would have considered it. I'd done little DIY stuff mm-hmm. at my house, but I never would consider going into that business. But with a little nudge, I uh, said, you know, I was looking for anything different. And so um, – that's what we did. So we, we bought into the, the company that was here in town and uh, a couple of years of that and uh, kind of figured out that the partnership wasn't the best relationship either. Uh, sometimes you can be really good friends, but not very good business partners. And so we decided to then take it just all out on our own. So we took that leap of faith and started performance plumbing with uh, just me and my wife doing, uh, uh, being the owners and running the, the show ourselves. And at that time we did, um, just commercial builds. So we would build restaurants and doctor's offices and that sort of thing to do the plumbing aspect of that. And, uh, and, you know, churned along. That was our, that was our, uh, uh, growth into the industry. And then when COVID hit, we had a number of large contracts that got canceled. And so, um, we kind of had to switch gears yet again. We kind of thought we were established, you know, all the tough parts of running a business. We'd been in business since 2015. And so we were like, you know, we, we worked those long hours. We did all that and, and that was all over with. And then all of a sudden, you know, the next three years worth of work is dissolved in, you know, a month time period. And so that's when we knew we had to, you know, make some changes. So we started doing residential service work and commercial service work as well. We had to change trucks. We had to change guys. We had to change policy. We had to get computer changes. You know, it was a a huge, a huge change in how we do business. But 
Uh, it's been a, a, it's been like starting our third business because we you know we did the uh, the motorcycle shop on our own and then we did the plumbing and then it was like all right well everything we know about plumbing we threw out the window and started over after COVID so uh, so you know we count that as uh, extra experience under our belt and you know we we feel very blessed that we've been able to kind of weather the storm thus far and and make those changes that uh, we've had we've been in, incredibly blessed by you know some great help from. Uh, local sources, great customer bases, and and uh, you know I wouldn't want to do anything like that in any other area than than Cherokee County. You know, it's uh, the kind of people that we that we want to you know count on the kind of community we wanted to be a part of. So, you know, for us, that's been the the journey all the way from uh, you know a fifteen year old kid uh, washing bikes at a motorcycle dealership all the way here to uh, you know a, a service uh, plumbing business. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, yeah, that's that's how we did it. So, how did you come up with the name Performance Plumbing? Uh, I don't think I don't I don't think I could say it on air necessarily. <laughs> but uh, another company that's not in the plumbing business was uh, when I was deciding we were going to start our our uh, business. Coming up with a name is the hardest part, you know. It's like, uh, what do you call yourself? And I was sitting in traffic, and a, another company uh, pulled up next to me, and they were Performance and and their industry, you know, written right on the side of their truck, and and I thought. That's it. That looks perfect, you know. And so we kind of proceeded on from there. It's like as soon as I saw it, it was like uh, like naming your child. It's like you know you can't come up with anything, but then when you hear the right one, that's it. And so, right. So that's what we went with, and and uh, and we've loved it. And then once we came up with the uh, American flag logo, it was like it just settled right into uh, exactly what we you know I couldn't picture it in my mind, but once we saw it, we knew that was it. So this will lead into part of the story that I want to bring into. But the question is, do you uh, just service Cherokee County or do you go other places? We go outside of Cherokee County. We try to stay um, 30 to 40 miles from our office uh, for the most part. depends on the type of project and what's needed just so that we can – we want to spend more time fixing plumbing than we do sitting in traffic. And so we have to kind of organize that way. But, uh, no, we go all the way out to Johns Creek and come down into Marietta and, and – uh, Milton and Alpharetta and stuff like that as well. We go further north as well, up into like Blue Ridge. And so um, it's not really a circle of a service area as much as it is just kind of dependent on the roads that get us there and the traffic that we can anticipate and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we want to be, as we grow, we want to be available to more people. You know, we think we bring a good quality product at a, at a value to customers. We bring a, a down-home community uh, relationship and so we want to offer that to everybody and so you know as we grow we want to continue to branch out to the people that we can offer that to and and um, we look forward to that so what i think is cool the reason i wanted to ask that question too is you shared with me a story that you actually went to texas you know you hear stories when natural disasters happen of tree companies and roofers and the like the the companies that do the mold and fire people like that to go to the other states but uh, i've never heard of a plumber going to another state to help out so share that story if you don't mind yeah so um a number of times in my career including uh, i was in the the motorcycle business when katrina hit and the owner of that company donated jet skis and and some other things so that the for the relief efforts to katrina and i saw that and i kind of felt the same way then i was like we need you know i've always wanted to be part of some kind of effort like that i think it's an amazing thing to do and so um as I, you know, as I kept growing and became a plumber and got into that business, there was uh, Hurricane Sandy and stuff like that. And it was like, how, how can I help? Uh, what can we do to help? I could pack up, I could go, but I'd just be in the way. They don't, 
do they need plumbers? Do they need anything like that? So often with these, um, you know, natural disasters, there was times when we would feel like, how, how do we go help? And we couldn't come up with it. And then this time when the, the freeze happened in Texas in, in 2021, we, uh, same deal. It was like, felt like we wanted to help, but we didn't know what to do. And thankfully we uh, just got a kind of surprise phone call uh, from a guy named Dominic that's with a company called uh, Plumbers Without Borders, that organization he runs, just himself and his wife. And they called me up and he said, hey, you know, I've talked to some people that are on the ground here in Texas and, and he's out of uh, Oregon, I believe. And, and he said, would you be able to send anybody to come help? You know, they, they have real need for plumbing. That's what they have a need for right now. And so we made a couple phone calls, talked to some of our guys and me and my wife discussed it, and, and we said, you know, we'll give you whatever you want. You know, you, you want us to load up trucks and trailers and excavators. You know, what is, what's the failure? What is, what's the fix? And, and we'll go. And he was able to put together a plan for the city. We went to Austin, and so the city of Austin put together a plan for us to stay in a hotel in Austin. We went to some of our local suppliers who were kind enough to supply us with uh, just truckloads of material. We loaded vans until they were dragging the ground and made the 14-hour the trek out there uh, with these just poor vans getting eight miles to the gallon just strapped down. I mean, pipe as high as we could stack it on the roof and everything. And and so we rolled out there, and um, like I said, the city of Austin was kind enough to put us up in a hotel, and there was another organization, Water Mission, that was on the ground there. And they generally focus on um, – getting water to like desolate areas and like the uh, Sahara desert and things like that. They, they work on communities that have no water, but they're based out of Austin, Texas. So they kind of immediately took that call and they organized getting us in contact with people who had no water at all. So we were out there for 13 days. We went through uh, almost 1500 feet of pipe, uh, repiping houses and patching frozen pipes and, and just everything under the sun crawl spaces with, animals that live in texas that you know i'd never seen before and <laughs> would be happy to never see again and, and uh, uh some really really great people some people that were incredibly gracious for the work that we were doing we saw a number of situations in which without that um there was there was no path i saw that they would ever have running water again they had no method to pay and and no um in some cases drive they were they were kind of beat down by the whole thing and so it was just a really great opportunity and and we were so blessed to be a part of it because for so long we sought how to make that connection and plumbers without borders really facilitated that and got us where we wanted to be and so um you know so we went out there and, and did that our longest uh, customer that had not had water. We had a lady in a really rural area that had not had water for 28 days when we turned her water on. And, and she just lived out there. She made a couple of times a week a trek back to the city where they would give her cases of bottled water and baby wipes to stay clean. And for 28 days, that was her entire life. So, wow. uh, you know, the, the, the noise that she made when she first heard water coming out of the, you know, coming, we turned the faucets on after, and we had to repipe the whole house. It froze top to bottom. And so, you know, it was uh, like eight of us that we had organized to go to this house. And when we first turned that tap on and water's coming out, and it's like the shower's on and the water's, and she was just, she was just screaming. She was a, um, an older woman, but she was just screaming like a, a schoolgirl. You know, she's so excited mm -hmm. to, to finally see water. And, and it was like, if you're wondering why we're here, you know, I told my guys, if you're wondering why we're here, that's 
why we're here, uh, you know, because it's there was local news agencies that wanted to meet with us and do that sort of thing. It's like, that's not why we're here. We have a job to do and, and that's what we want to do. And, and so that was, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't make any money off of that trip. Uh, thankfully they were able to cover a lot of our expenses. So it wasn't an expensive trip other than the cost of not being here working. We took everybody that we had, but, uh, it was one of the most, you know, most, rewarding things that we've ever done for sure well for those of you who can't see in the room but sharon you can see just by him sharing a story I of the know, glow. i am too i get choked up because i've talked we've talked about this like that joy that you experienced you cannot put a price on that nope. and if more people felt that joy they would do more of those things exactly i just i really believe that i agree exactly. with that i agree 100 percent. and you can't you know, money's nice, but they didn't need money uh, in Austin. Austin, the city was helping. They just ran out of physical people. And so, um, you know, it feels nice to give money and help causes. But when when you can take your talent, your thing that you do, and, you know, we say, like, we're a good plumber in the community, a good steward in our community, and then have an opportunity to take that all the way to a completely foreign land as far as we were concerned and uh, and apply it and really see results. We got uh, 25 houses that didn't have water we got water turned on and and um you know it was it was just a blast and we got to meet some people that did the same thing that came from uh i think people came from about 50 different uh cities that were in our group that water mission organized and we still uh still know those guys i went to new york last year for uh, one of them's wedding and uh got to see it and so you know those connections those things uh you can't replicate them you can't you know recreate them and so uh we were just blessed that the timing worked out that we could make it work that's a good point that you bring up about uh you know it's nice to be able to give money and help that way but that's one of the reasons i started be charitable pursuits and resources because i'm not going to be able to one to hand a nonprofit a check for right even now 100 bucks but twenty five thousand, fifty thousand dollars. but what i can do is use my experiences and, and connections and help them with connections events and educate people of why they're doing which will We've got one here in a minute. What we'll hear from, but um, I love being able to do that, and, and it's and you're right. It brings a joy, you know, and to be able to to see it all coming together and work. So, you 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 and I talked as well that obviously you're you're a believer, and uh, it's not easy to find plumbers at network. But you hired a young lady to do that for you because you guys stay busy in the field, and I'm sure Christmas time you guys were extremely busy around here with that same problem, but. Um, it's also not hard or easy to find businesses that not, not say profess the Christianity, but just the example, you know, and living that and the way you treat your customers, I think is important because um, I don't care what industry you're in. If you're not treating your customers right, you know, you're not going to last as a business, but then also those customers are going to be, you know, out whatever as well. So um, it's awesome that you guys do that. Um, share a little bit about your family yeah so um me and my wife uh first got together in the eighth grade and uh we will be married for 20 years in september of this year congrats uh thank you and um we have a um 13 year old son and a nine-year-old daughter both of them uh in school here in cherokee county and and we you know really enjoy the community we try to do all of the festivals that we can and fall festivals we are partners in education with uh, several of the schools here in the county and and um you know our kids 
take on my daughter probably more than my son takes on the company role. She loves to wear apparel for us. She loves to uh, hog us. She, she draws uh, um, ads for us all the time. I mean, she's very artistic and and very good with it. And and so it's a it's a, a real you know family endeavor. Our kids go to. Um, our office on weekends, we have a lot of times that we need to do work on a truck or we need to reorganize something or we need to put something together and, and they come right along and they're they're part of it. And so, uh, you know, that hopefully going to be a legacy that we can pass along and, uh, you know, that, that'll be something that they won't have to go through some of what we went through to get to that point. But, um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a blast with all of the challenges, you know, obviously being um, – what they are, but to have a family that, you know, every night, you know, these people are going to stand behind you. They're going to be there. They're not going anywhere. They're not uh, scared to go into the void with you and, and see how it is through, um, you know, leaving a dependable job where I got an everyday paycheck to starting my own motorcycle shop to getting out of that and getting into plumbing that, you know, it's like, how are you going to go be a plumber? You know, nothing about being a plumber. It's like, I'm just going to go do it. And that's how, <laughs> that's how we're going to do it. And all right, go, <laughs> you know? And so that was, um, uh, it's a real blessing to be able for me to be able to know that, um, you know, win or lose and, and, uh, that's all going to be there. And, and so I'm, I'm really blessed in that. So, uh, why is it important? I mean, other than what you just, why you shared your, why you're doing with your business, but why is it important for you to be part of the community? Uh, you know, I've always just I've felt like, you know, there's um, there's a, a burden put on you when you have uh, talents to to use those talents well, and I think that it's easy to get um, see a modicum of success and start feeling like, oh, I did that, or I did, you know, I I, I grew that, or I made that, and and that's often not the case, at least not completely the case and so i've always felt like anything that we get belongs to the community you know belongs to some extent at least to the the people around and and that's the only way that it works you know it's i'm not a um huge proponent of um you know government intervention i like for a community to come together you know that was one thing we loved about being in ball ground during covid was that that community just itself kind of they didn't need intervention of any kind it was Everybody pulled together. Businesses helped other businesses that were failing because they weren't, you know, we had barbershops closed and we had all of this stuff. And people stepped up and did uh, what I consider to be the right thing. And so it was, um, you know, my whole life just kind of part of it that, you know, I think you can be really, really successful and still be a really good member of the community that people uh, uh, trust and people believe in and new businesses that come in look at you as a you know a light on the hill to chase instead of being that guy that just man you don't you don't want to deal with him if you don't have to and and you might can make a really successful business doing that you know but but at the same time if if you can't be successful and be a good member of the community then you just be a good member of the community and and don't be successful so it's it, it's got to come first and that's kind of the, the philosophy that we have we live here we you know, we're going to bump into you in the grocery store and everything else. We want you to say, hey, that's the guy that takes care of us, not, hey, that's the, that guy that, you know, got us for this and that. Right. So, um, it's, a, it's a combination of all those things. I think that uh, if everybody did it that way, then we'd be better off. And so that's kind of the philosophy that I try to teach my kids that anytime you're doing something, it's not about whether you get away with it or not. Picture if everybody did it the way you're doing it would the world be a better place or would it be a worse place? And if, if the world wouldn't be a better place, then just change what you're doing to where, you know, it doesn't matter if everybody else is getting away with it, do the right thing on your own. And so 
That's how we try to do it. So, you know, growing up, I'm old, right? So, <laughs> but growing up, there was, a, I think, a stereotype for plumbers as well, and it was the crack, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. accurate. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's an accurate stereotype. I, I've started, um, we're trying to start uh, getting some social media stuff going with some video footage. And so I've started setting up a GoPro when I go to work. And uh, it's like, oh, we can't, can't use that because it's just too stereotypical. You know, right. <laughs> it's just right. too, uh, uh, yeah, it's accurate. Uh, now, I will say that if you're fortunate enough to find skinny plumbers, you get less of that. But uh, uh, if you're going to limit it to skinny plumbers, you're going to really, that's going to narrow your, your options down pretty far. There you go. Can you uh, give anybody any plumbing tips? What, what do they need to do? Uh, other than call us. Yeah. Other yeah. than call you. Yes. Don't YouTube things. I've heard some horror stories about people thinking they can handle some. Yeah. You know, Google foo is a, a, a tactic that you only should use if you have the skills for it. And so, you know, searching up how to fix something can be a, a double-edged sword. There's plenty of stuff out there that will lead you in the wrong direction. But what I normally tell people if they, um, just ask me for advice, like, just relax. Like we're going to, we're going to get it. Uh, you know, like I said, we went to Texas and fixed somebody's water who'd been off for 28 days and she wasn't even that stressed. You know, she was, she was hurting, but she wasn't that stressed. It's like, whatever it is, it's flooding. You, you're going to have insurance. We're going to get it stopped. We're going to get it like six months from now, this is all going to be over 24 hours from now. It's all going to be over whatever it is. And so, um, if you slow the pace down a little bit, think things through, we always offer um, that technical advice for free, uh, subject to our availability. If I, normally, I'm the one doing it. If I'm called into the field or whatever, I'm not available. But we're happy to, you know, if you have a question, ask us a question or anything like that. We'd rather see you do it right than than you do it wrong because you didn't want to talk to us. We'd rather it get fixed right and we'll be your guy when it gets out of your hands, you know. And so that's um. You know, the best advice with it is that, you know, from early on when I was in this industry, learning just a young pup being taught how to do it, I was very stressed. Everything. What if it leaks? What if that drips? What if that? What if we don't get it unclogged? What if we don't? And and the fact of it was that, you know, it's it's going to be everything we've ever done got finished one way or the other. And so um, it helped me a lot to just slow the pace down, think about what you're doing and, and make better decisions. And and uh, I would say to build a relationship with us, you know, um, we've, we've told people before, you don't have to hire us to build a relationship with us. If you stop by our festival stuff and, and, you know, tell your friends. And when somebody asks for a plumber on Facebook, you're referring us and stuff like that. That's plenty good enough. If you need free advice or whatever, like you don't have to feel guilty that, Oh, I don't hire them. And then I do this, just build that relationship and keep that relationship. So if we can help you, we'll be happy to help you. If we can't, then uh, you know we we'll let you know wh- who you need why why it is that we're not the right person for it. But build that relationship before you need it is usually a a better way to right. handle it. But um, well, I, I am going to ask you one question. Yeah, uh, on the plumbing side. So why is it uh, they tell you when the weather is about to be below freezing, you keep your faucets dripping and you open the cupboard doors? So. We went through a lot of this, obviously, at Christmas time. We did several videos on what to do to get ready, and that's very generic information. It doesn't fit every house. Uh, so the reason you would leave the faucets dripping, the water coming out of the ground in the wintertime here in Cherokee County is about 64 degrees. So by dripping, the new water coming in, 64 degrees. So even if the house was 32 degrees inside, which it wouldn't be unless your heat wasn't working, then you have new warm water coming right up out of the ground. 
relatively warm. None of us want to swim in 64 degree water, uh, but it won't freeze. And so by leaving it dripping, both hot and cold, you constantly feed that warmer water through the lines. It helps them keep freezing. Plus the water moving is harder to freeze, just like it freezing temperatures, a creek will still run because that water is just moving. It can't freeze. So, um, and then opening the cabinet doors would be only applicable if that cabinet was up against an outside wall. And all you want is that warm air from your house to get up against that outside wall to keep it from freezing. So the cabinet's just kind of an insulator. So if you open those cabinet doors or put a space heater where it's blowing in under there, um, then, then that will take care of it. But there are so many things that I wish if people would do when the temperature is getting really, really low. And, and we've worked on that. I think we did a really bad job this year. We tried kind of last minute to put together some Facebook videos and stuff. We're going to work really hard this year to develop some some already made right in the pipeline videos, uh, pipeline, so to speak, uh, <laughs> videos that are um, just ready for us to say, here's here's YouTube videos with you know, detailed instructions of what you need to do. Cause you know, we don't want people to pay us to go out and turn their hose bibs off or anything like that. We want to, you can handle that. <laughs> Most people can handle that. But um, I guess to go back to uh, with the freeze, the number one advice I would tell anyone that's in their house is learn where your shutoff is, learn how to turn the water off when you have to turn the water off. Cause if you wait until it's two o'clock in the morning and it's spraying in the middle of the kitchen floor you'll never find it you'll just run around like a chicken with your head cut off and or sliding and across the floor yeah you swim you get a raft and raft over to it <laughs> so learning where it is how to turn it off does it work you know those sorts of things in the heat of the moment knowing right where to go that's the first thing we do when we get on site for almost any repair where do we shut this house off if things go you know sometimes you're just changing an ice maker and all of a sudden bleep, it breaks in the wall now and if again for us we're scurrying around and so knowing right where i can just go shut it off before there's any flood there's any anything now we can just fix the problem turn the water back on it makes a really big difference so i wish that every single customer i had knew exactly where to go to turn their water off that would be a fantastic help for right us. what about wrapping the, the faucets outside i know my wife took a washcloth and then a kroger bag and put them over the faucets on the house outside it doesn't hurt the insulated covers that you couldn't get at home depot when that was all happening uh those are a great option too they do the same thing they just reflect the house's heat the house is warm and so they just keep that what we call it in the envelope they keep the the hose bib inside that envelope uh to help it from freezing um but they should have a shutoff, too. Uh, that's a, a second thing you can learn. The first thing is the main shutoff. The second thing is the shutoffs for any outdoor spigots. They'll have a shutoff, and you turn them off and drain them down, then they can't freeze. There's no water in them. So um, that's more effective to turn them off and drain them down. But second to that, trying to insulate them absolutely is the next step. But certainly disconnect the hose from them no matter what you do because – about 40% of the fixes that we did during the freeze still had garden hoses hooked to them, and that's the biggest cause of it is that that freezes really fast, and that water just chases right up into the into the house, and, you know, it, it's, it's a common occurrence for right. us to fix them. All right, so if somebody out there listening and, and wants to get a hold of you for your services, how can they do that? Yeah, so you can call us or text us at 404-637-9017. Or uh, you can visit us at our website, which is www.performance.plumbing. There's no .com or anything. We're just performance.plumbing, leading the charge into a new way to do internet uh, site locations. Nice. Uh, and that's what they sold me on years ago when I got that, and it hasn't quite yet happened. I was told .com was going to go away, <laughs> and uh, that hasn't exactly been the way it is. But, yeah, we're performance.plumbing is our website, so it's easy to get to. And 
like I said, we take calls or texts on our main line. So we're happy to uh, chat back and forth that way. If it's easier, more convenient, or just antisocial or shy, you can just shoot us a text, and, and we'll be happy to respond to it that way. Awesome. Well, John, thanks for coming and sharing a little bit of your story and your business. you mind sticking around and listening to this next guest? It'll be my pleasure. So you guys just heard two stories of, of different ways of people getting involved in the community and their passions of helping people in different ways. <clears throat> this next story... I'm going to let him speak the entire time, but this next story is not only about community, but uh, it's perseverance, it's overcoming, it's grace, it's uh, passion. And uh, anyway, Kevin Harris from All In All Out Ministry, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. And uh, you will share about your ministry and why you're doing it and, you know, after you share your story because it leads into why you're doing But just go ahead and share your story because it's uh, you may want to share and get you some tissues oh gosh <laughs> so no it's uh, it's incredible yeah so if you don't mind please share your story all right uh absolutely um so uh growing up i was uh very fortunate grew up in a home where um you know i grew up in a, a kind of a big family there were four boys i was the youngest of four boys there's a lot to that down the road um but growing up we were very fortunate uh mom dad loved us we prayed at dinner table uh, dad, when I was born, was superintendent of uh, the schools in the county. Um, then he went on to be a principal, but also um, through that he became a preacher on the weekends. So he, he was pastoring a church and, uh, you know, being a principal. So growing up, that was uh, my, my dad. And growing up, uh, I, I learned that I had an identity problem because uh, trying to figure out you know, in the town we grew up in, it wasn't a huge town at the time. Now it is. It's grown very big in Cartersville, uh, Georgia. Uh, but everybody knew everybody, and everybody knew my dad. So I was always like Doug's son or Gail's son. And, and then as my brother brothers uh, got older and being the youngest, you know, I was Ron's little brother, Jeffrey's little brother, Craig's little brother. And um, so nobody just said, hey, Kevin. You know, it was always something else. So I struggled with that. Not knowing, you know, and I'd try to uh, do things to get attention. Uh, of course, being the youngest, um, despite what everybody says, we are spoiled and we do get our way a lot more. Um, but uh, as I was growing up, you know, I, you know, my dad was a very honest guy, and and you know, being the principal, he did paddle me twice when that was a thing. Uh, you can do that. So, it like, still needs to be a thing. Well, <laughs> no comment. Uh, <laughs> But, um, you know, so it wasn't like that I had any special treatment or anything. So he treated me just like everybody else. And um, and growing up, uh, you know, I, I, trying to figure that out. And, and as I got to high school, uh, when I was a freshman, it was across town. So I kind of got away from my dad because elementary middle school was attached. And in middle school, if I got in trouble, they would, um, you know, they'd take me to my dad's office instead of, you know, I can remember – uh, in my art class, I had these little fake earrings in my ear, and she's like grabs me by the arm, and says, "Come on, we're going to the office." And I'm like, "Okay." We pass the the middle school office and go straight to the elementary school office. I'm like, "Okay." So, but I, I'll never forget my dad sitting there. He said, "Son, if you want to put earrings in your ear, we can put a dress on you and let you go to the girls' bathroom." I'm like, "All right," but uh, I showed him later. I got them pierced when I got to college. So. <laughs> But uh, anyway, so I, it was like I, I couldn't get away from him. So when I got to high school, I'm like, yes, I'm away. And um, and then the uh, first day of school, they're going through the role. You know, they get to my name. They're like, oh, you 
Jeffrey's little brother or Craig's little brother? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, we're going to need you to move to the front of the class because if you're anything like them, we're in trouble. I'm like, great. So um, so I just started just trying to find who I was and, um, and, and doing that. I ended up with the wrong crowd, the wrong people. Uh, as a freshman in high school, I started drinking, um, and we were drinking at school, weekends, wherever, whenever. And as I progressed through high school, I, I was able to maintain playing sports. Basketball was my thing. I enjoyed doing that, and and um, but as I as I got older, uh, as a senior and graduated, man, I, I just wasn't drinking. But I was, you know, it was pills, it was uh, you know pot, those kind of things. And uh, and then as I got out of high school, I kind of found uh, meth, which ended up being my drug of choice. Um, I did try college, uh, didn't go too well. I probably picked the worst school to go to as far as back then. I can't speak for them now. Uh, I don't look at it, but Georgia Southern was one of the top party schools in the country. So went there um, my first semester, got in trouble a couple of times. Uh, I was sitting before the dean. He's like, uh, man, if we have a three-strike uh, three rule and you're out here, and he said, this is your second strike. I really don't think you're going to make it three and a half more years. So he's like, you should probably go home. I'm like, okay. So so that's what I did. I go back home, but uh, nothing changed, man. Still running the streets, um, you know, trying to do my own thing, um, you know, getting uh, involved in some incidents, of a shooting, uh, some other things. And then I'm like, well, I'll settle down, and, and for you know, twenty year old guy, then settling down meant finding a girl, you know. So <clears throat> that's what I did. Um, she ends up getting pregnant. Uh, we weren't married, and, and being a Baptist preacher kid, uh, you're supposed to be married when those things happen. So we end up getting married, um, despite our religious differences. Um, her being Mormon and me being Baptist was a pretty big clash. Um, but uh, you know, so. We got married, had my little boy. Uh, a year later, we had my little girl. Uh, she was born uh, premature. Uh, lungs weren't fully developed. Uh, she had problems breathing on her own. They'd put her on a heart, mo- heart monitor. She'd been in and out with, um, uh, with uh, I forget what it's called now. The um, Why can I not think of the what kids normally get when they go into the hospital? The Holy cow, I'm drawing a blank. Mm-hmm. There it goes. And nobody's helping me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it an incubator? What are no, you? No, nothing. Oh. It's just, it's, there's a word for it. It's pretty common that kids get a lot, and I can't even think of what it is now. But anyway, it's like a respiratory. Uh, is it RSV? Uh, yes. Thank okay. you. Yes, thank you. She bailed me out. Leave it up uh, to a mom to know that. Yeah. <laughs> it was RSV, and she was about two months old, and, and for the two months, she'd been in the hospital for about a month of that, and uh and like I said, they sent us home with a heart monitor. Uh, quit working one day, so it was going to be the next day before they could get us another one. Uh, so that night, um, when I'm home, my son wouldn't have anything to do with anybody else but me. So, uh, and I usually work nights. Well, I did work nights at that time. And uh, so I took him to bed. She said she'd stay up with him. And she wakes me up in the middle of the night, you know, screaming, She's not breathing, she's not breathing. And so she hands me uh, my daughter, and, and I do everything I can at the time, but she ends up passing away in my arms. So um, uh, so that was difficult. Uh, I was 21 at the time. So for any kid or anybody to suffer the loss of a child is, is very devastating. And for me at the time, uh, I did what I knew 
how to deal with it, and that was drugs and alcohol. So it just fueled that. She turned to to her religion, and, and but um, we ended up separating, getting divorced, and so I went many more years of, of drinking drugs, uh, getting worse, um, you know, and, and then I thought uh, at one point uh, in '02 I decided I was going to get clean, and, and I did, and not sure it's for any of the right reasons or anything, but I got clean, stayed clean for a while, um, and then ended up relapsing over um, really just being around the wrong people, um, situations. As I look back, what I found out was um, when things don't go my way or, or big, I guess, events that happen in people's life, which happens in all of us, and, and everybody has their way of dealing with them, but for me, for whatever reason, I always turned to the drugs and alcohol to deal with them. I, I wasn't very good at facing any problems that I had. Um, so th- that's what I did, end up relapsing, um, you know, used for a while again, um, got clean again in 08, 09. And, and about then I started feeling, um, you know, well, and when I got clean in 02, I, I felt like God was calling me to something to do something in ministry or whatever, and and there was no doubt. just didn't know what that looked like, but as time uh, went, that faded, and as things happened, that faded, especially uh, started using again. Uh, 08, I uh, started getting clean again, and, and I actually uh, felt like, um, you know, everybody kept, I'd share my story, everybody's like, well, you should write a book. So I'm like, all right, I'll start it, or I'll write it, but I started it. Um, but it wasn't until 10 years later before I finished it, or really longer than that. But anyway, I started it, got clean. Um, man, I started working for this ministry, uh, doing uh, helping others that that um, that uh, that had been through what I've been through, and and so it, it really drove my passion uh, to helping them, doing that, and, and everything was going great. And, and then one day, I, I get confronted by one of the board members of the the ministry, uh, telling me that I'm a liar, that I'm stealing from God, and and all this stuff. And it's like out of nowhere. And um, uh, the accusations weren't true, but for whatever reason, somebody had told them some stuff. Um, I don't, I, I have no clue why. But either way, it came. Um, they asked me to resign, and I did. But man, I, I just fought like why like i'm doing what i'm loving uh why why would this happen like why would a ministry do something like this to uh someone so i ended up relapsing again uh back to where i was but this time uh man i i really um and i went into uh shooting up meth and really getting uh deep into it um stealing breaking into places uh just doing all kinds of dumb dumb stuff and uh and then i did something that i thought i would never do and uh and i, I broke into a church uh, i just didn't break into any church i broke into a church that my dad had pastored for 19 years church that i grew up in church that like these people considered me as their kids and uh man it was just uh it, it crazy never never thought and, and then me being in the position that i was thinking well, nobody ever know who this was. I have a key, the alarm code, and all this stuff. But you know, it. it well, you know, most addicts they realize nobody thinks they're doing anything. But uh, it was pretty. Took them a week, so that just shows you how terrible I was uh, at it. Took them a week to figure out uh, that it was me. Uh, warrant was issued for my arrest. I make the 
6 o'clock news back when that was a thing. I guess it still is. I don't know. I don't have regular TV anymore. You're trying not to watch those anymore. Yeah, right. Uh, but anyway, made the news, wanted, had a, a warrant issued for my arrest, and, man, my first thought was uh, I'll run. And, um, and, and then after a night of just – bombarded with phone calls and, and people trying to get me to turn myself in i um you know i, I eventually next day caved let my parents um call them say hey i'll turn myself in let's go and so they come pick me up on the way there i'm talking to them and i'm like all right so here's what we do we get a bells bondman we do this we do that so i'm thinking like i'm gonna go in you know turn myself in and i'll be out by the end of the day and um was my, what i was wanting uh, because I, I just want to get this over with and, and move on with, with what I was doing. And uh, and I get there and, and do all that, and then, well, they populate me with the rest of everybody else. I'm like, I don't think this is supposed to be happening. Like, we had a plan here. And uh, so in a week later, I get this little care package in jail, and it's got, like, socks and toothbrush and, and deodorant stuff. And I'm like, I think I'm going to be here a while. And so, and looking back, my parents, they, um, they said, you know, that was probably one of the hardest decisions they ever had to do, but was the best decision they ever made, which is so true, uh, looking back on it. But by leaving me in there, let me deal with it, face the consequences, and, and those kind of things. And so, you know, growing up, and one reason my ministry is all in or all out is because I'm one of those people, I'm either all in or all out. I've never been able to find, you know, hang out on the fence and, and be that person in the middle. So whatever I do, you know, that's it. So I, I'd had this battle back and forth of, um, you know, I'm in church, I'm out of church. You know, if I'm not in church, it's probably not a good thing. Y'all should probably go looking for me. But um, so that that was my life. And, and so at this ministry um, that I worked at, you know, I'd, I'd send my resignation later in, but, um, and I'd ended it with a verse. And so while I was in jail, uh, I was walking back to my cell, um, there's a group of guys in this one cell and, uh, they were just, I don't, I didn't know what was going on. So I'm like, I'm new to this. So I'm like, stuck my head in like, come on in. We're reading the Bible. And I'm like, okay. And, um, and, and they picked up reading, uh, where they'd left off and it's Romans eight twenty eight. All things come together good for those who love the Lord. And, um, and that's what I, uh, ended my resignation letter with, uh, with this ministry. And so, man, it just, just hit me like a ton of bricks like i just start crying and i I remember god saying son i'm not done with you yet and so it just um hit me and even though i was still clean like i knew that's what i needed to be doing but there's still this other you know demon enemy inside of you fighting like no you go back to what you're doing and and so i spent 119 days in jail um before I finally got an opportunity. And while I was in there, man, the love from this church of letters and support and and visitors and, and stuff was just very overwhelming. And, and so I uh, go to the judge, and, and when we're doing this, there's a thing called drug court. Uh, I know it's in, in Bartow where I was. I know most of the other counties have it. Not everybody knows about it. But it, it's a program where they let you out. But like you have to, um, and you have to get a job, work so many hours. You have curfew. You have surveillance officers that check on you. Random drug tests. You go to court every week, and as you get through it, it kind of gets to every other week to once a month. But you have to stand before the judge and give an account for your actions for the week, and and so it, it, it's a really good program. And but while I was in jail, I'm asking people about because they said because I was facing 16 years in prison. 
is what I was facing. And, um, and so they said drug court could be an option. So when I'm asking people about it, they're like, um, you know, everybody in jail is like, no, don't do it. They're setting you up for failure or whatever. And, but I was wanting to take my chances versus 16 years, but I stood before the judge, man, and, and he was letting me have it, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he's telling me, you know, you you know, you know, broke into a place where people go for safety and, and you know, go to, you know, uh, to be, you know, in comfort and, and know that they get away from all that. And he said, you violated that. And, I mean, he was just uh, hammering me. And uh, he said, normally I put people away for a very – very very long time for this he said but because of the church going to bat for you and, and because i think you need help versus putting you in jail we're going to do drug court and uh he said we'll do six months rehab and then drug court's a two-year thing and, and 10 years probation and so that's what i ended up with uh made it through drug court but you know you still have this this battle going on of you know am i going to do this am i not going to do this and when uh you have to on the they'll surprise you with some drug tests. You have to call a phone number every night and figure out if you got to be there the next day. And, and it was on a weekend, and I forgot to call. I hadn't done anything. I just didn't call, so I missed a drug test. And to them, a missed drug test is a failed drug test. So, uh, so I told them, hey, I didn't mean to. Like this is a deal. And, and so, I ended up having to spend a weekend in jail as, as my uh, punishment. That's the thing with drug court. Your punishment's back to jail. So, um, it ain't just a slap on the wrist. Uh, so spent, it, it was, I was in the weekend in jail and, and I realized, man, this is my one year anniversary of being clean. I'm here. I, I you know, I just forgot to call a number, but I see some of the same people and, and it kind of clicked for me. You know, this is this is not the life that I want to be. I don't want this to be a revolving door, and and that's when I, you know, really felt like I, I've got to do something different. And so from that point forward, I really uh, started fighting, uh, surrounding myself with a great support group. I uh, started kind of following God and His lead and and what He's leading me to do. And and, and as I graduated drug court, uh, I had one of my biggest tests. Um, uh, I mean, it was, I say I graduated in July of 2014 and then September of 2014, uh, my brother was, uh, out cutting the grass and a lady swerved, hit him. He bounced off the windshield. Um, he ended up dying. But the other part, like, um, she went off the road and, uh, when she went out, got out of her car, we assumed to check on him. She forgot to put it in park. The door pinned her up against the tree, killed her. So it was just a freak accident all the way around. And so that was one of my biggest trials uh, going through that. And but kind of uh, because of what I've been through, the support group that I got, you know, I was able to get through that. And uh, and so I, I made it through that. And, and since then, um, man, it's been good. Uh, my dad passed away two years, so that was a challenge. But um, but. I'm still clean. It's um, June the, June second. I'll celebrate 11 years this year. Awesome! So congratulations. So that's kind of my story, and 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 through all that, that's kind of the short version. Um, I ended up finishing my book uh, last year, beginning of last year. That's out. Um, you said you finished that in the hospital bed, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So well, I wasn't in the hospital, but I was at home. But I was. Um, I was riding a four wheeler, you know, thinking that I was 16 again and I flipped it on top of myself and and broke my collarbone. And so like, I'm laying up in my bed with my arm in a brace and I'm like, I I felt like, 
you know, God's leading me to finish this thing. I'm like, all right. So I'm like, got my knee propped up. I'm on my phone and I, I finished 80% of it on my phone trying to type it with my, my arm in a sling. So, so yeah, I was able to finish it, uh, finally. Um, and, and through all this, one of the things that I've found is, uh, the passion that God's given me to help other people who have suffered, um, what I, what I have because, a lot of people, one, they don't get a chance. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that when they do get clean or try to get clean, they end up going back to, um, you know, the old jobs, the old people, and, and it ends up being a vicious cycle for them. And, and so I, I started, you know, feeling like God promised me that I needed to do something to try and break that. Uh, the other thing that I'm learning is there are not just with the attic, there are uh, people on the other side of that that's family, a wife, a parent, or somebody who is suffering. And I, and I saw that later on after I got clean, talking to my parents and stuff and seeing there, there's a side there that they're going through that, that they're suffering. And, and so that's something else that, that through this process I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to address and how to help and, and do to walk both sides of, of people. Uh, through this process because it, it can be tough for the addict, for the, you know, family and everything. And and so with that, that's what I felt like that um, God was leading me to open up a recovery residence to help people. Um, and, and that's where All In, All Out Ministries were birthed last year, uh, put a board together. And, um, and the first thing that I, that I told the board when we got together, we meet once a month uh, trying to figure all this out. And the first thing I told him, I said, I just want, I shared my passion, what I felt like God was leading me to do. And I, I told him, I said, you know, what I feel like the vision that God's given me is something that can only happen with him. I said, it, it can be nothing I can do because, like, I have these huge visions. I'm like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I, I know that apart from him, it's not going to happen. And, and so that's kind of the um, – the mantra, the kind of thing we, we fueled on and, and trying to figure this out. And, and what I feel like is uh, I'm at the stage where I'm raising money right now. Uh, we've kind of, the board and everything, we've kind of put some things in place to get us to where we're at and we're getting ready to start raising or we are raising money, having a fundraiser, uh, doing things like that. And, and what I feel like God's um, vision is, is is having something with some land, 20 acres, uh, we're wanting to put like animals on there to where one to help teach responsibilities, get up, feed them, whatever. And then my wife's like, "Well, you know, you can, you know, uh, eat those animals too." Like and I'm like, "Well, that's, that's good because we could help us be self efficient." So we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Uh, but first, feeding them, taking care of them, you know, have a garden, uh, help be self efficient. I uh, want to get the community involved. Uh, just want to be able to, especially businesses and stuff, to help teach these guys trades. So, like I said, like you know, they don't have nothing to fall back on. So, I want to be able to set them up, so when they get out, they've got something that they can do, and and they can help provide for themselves and their family. Because you know that's tough for uh, especially men that when they feel like they can't provide. Um, so, you know that that's a big deal. And, and this facility is going to be for men who are struggling with a substance abuse disorder, and and we're just trying to get them back into the mainstream of society. Uh, we want people in the community to come in. You know, they can serve meals. Uh, you know, there's things for them to get involved and teach, like, budgeting classes, teach how to do a job interview, how to dress for a job interview, like you were talking with the veterans. I mean, teach them stuff that they may not know and, um, you know, to help them, you know, 
set them up for success. So that's uh, one of the things. And also for the ones, you know, there's always everybody's like, what about those that are just, you know, tattooed from head to toe and nobody's going on. They got so many felonies. I'm like, well, then we'll do teach them how to do oil changes and open it up to the community or do landscaping, Help you know, give them some responsibility, something. Well, if they don't feel like they can, that nobody wants to give them a chance, that so we can do something to help, and that'll help generate money. So the hardest part is is the beginning. I, I feel like once it's up and going, and, and when they're there, they'll put money, like they'll pay fees, which they never cover, which that's, that's the plan, just to, so they got skin in the game. Um, but to help generate, you know, revenue or, or, or money for the for the ministry and, and so that I'm not fully dependent on donations once we're up and going. And so – um, that's kind of the vision, the plan, and, and and where God's got me right now. So, I mean, this whole thing is is amazing. The story and incredible is in itself. But uh, several other things that I find out that we, the way God works and everything. But one of the things I wanted to touch on when you and I talked, I think one of the reasons you felt uh, compelled to also do the the facility is that your times in rehab too you felt most of these places were just concerned about the money they didn't care about the person and that this is where you want to make that change yes absolutely um you know anytime you go to one and they roll up in a cadillac and they're loaded down with gold necklaces and stuff you know that it's just them generating money and you'll you'll get there and you'll see man there are places where one people are using in there two you'll have 10 people in a room sleeping on floor and stuff and it's just about that and and, and my goal is to change that stereotype, to change that, you know, this isn't about the money. And, and that's why, it's, you know, I, I'm not getting into this to be rich. It, it's to um, truly help people that, that need help and give them an opportunity that maybe somebody else wouldn't and give them the attention they need. Like while they're there, you know, we'll do classes. I'm working on some other resources to help them, like put places and uh put things in place to like help them when they're out like hanging around people certain people like with family co-workers you know putting putting things what i call guardrails in place to prevent you from going over the cliff with that or, or going to places like i don't go to a restaurant and sit down and um you know they're like oh it's an hour wait but you can sit at the bar well i'm not gonna sit there and eat my food staring at liquor bottles knowing that you know that might not have been my problem but it will take me to my drug of choice and so like i don't i don't set myself up for failure and and so that's what i want to be able to teach these guys that and um you know and know that this ain't and and it may be a place that you know i'm not going to we we don't want to just take people to fill bits we want somebody who you know yes even if they're on the fence yes i think i do but maybe not well come on let's give it a shot let's see um and you know and if we're full, we're full. Hopefully, uh, God will provide, and, and we can have unlimited beds, whatever that looks like. But anyway, the other thing that I find incredible, and if you uh, will, will tell people how they can find your book here in a second. But we, the way that in that book ended, and your story ended in that in that in the book, it's amazing to me that the you talked about the church coming and sporting and visiting you, but the way they welcomed you back into the church with the grace and the mercy that they did. Not everybody gets that. You and I have talked about certain people that still get that. You know, well, they're still bad people, and and, and you were shown that. And I think that's incredible. Yeah. So, um, probably about a year and a half after uh, after it happened, I had the opportunity um, to go make amends to the church. I felt like God was leading me to go ask for forgiveness, and so I talked to the pastor at the time. He was open to it, 
And uh, so he gave me a Sunday where I was able to go and, and share and apologize. Um, it was crazy. The same Fox 5 that was there to, to do that, they were there for for that. I didn't know they were going to be there. Um, but I have a clipping of that of, of just where, you know, they, they showed that of where I was just able to um, I just – Tell them, you know, ask them to forgive me. You know, I, I not only stole from God, but I stole from you, and 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 they were very welcoming. I mean, they opened their arms. You know, they they surrounded me, prayed over me, and um, it, it was just amazing because I, you know, I was scared to death. I mean, you just never know how people are going to react, and um, uh, but but they did. They they truly showed um, forgiveness. You know, um, you know, showing that, that people can have transformation and and. And everything, so it truly showed the church what the church should be like in forgiving people and opening their arms, no matter what. So. If somebody is listening right now who are experiencing some of the things you went through, what kind of advice can you give them? Um, and uh, find somebody to talk to. Um, find somebody to talk to. Uh, that's one thing that that I learned uh, through these years is when I'd hold on to things, man, I, I could talk myself into anything. Uh, but it wasn't until I started learning to share, to speak out loud, even if it sounded stupid or just telling people, hey, look, this is what I feel like I'm, I'm wanting to go do. And, and and you'll find that people can listen. Getting it verbally speaking out loud takes a grip off of it that, that doesn't keep you down and hold you down because people experience a lot of shame and guilt with this. And and, and so that that's the biggest thing. I, I remember a time when I was in drug court, man, I remember I'd go straight to class, to work and home. Like, I, I dreaded stopping to get gas because I'm like, I'm going to be pumping gas and somebody recognized me, man. I, I was shameful uh, of what I'd done and afraid of what somebody might say. So just being able to find somebody to talk to and um, and, and then, you know, next steps is, is finding someone who's been there. I, I found that's the easiest, uh, but I've also found that people who hadn't been there, it's good to talk to, and they can have some uh, wisdom and advice that, that somebody who has been there that, you know, a, di- a different spin on a different take from their point of view. If somebody wanted to find your book and read it, tell them the name of the book and where they can find it. Uh, it's pretty, the name of the book, you, you know, you probably got to read it, but I want you to read it, uh, <laughs> but you ain't got to read it, but it's Preacher's Kid Breaks Into Dad's Church. So uh, that's the name of it. It is on Amazon. I'm paperback, and it's on uh, Barnes & Noble's hardback. Uh, you also have a podcast, correct? Uh, I do. It's called All In or All Out with Kevin. Uh, it releases every Wednesday uh, when I remember sometimes. I get <laughs> I get so busy, and I'm like, it's Wednesday at lunch. I'm like, oh, no. So, um, yeah, it releases every Wednesday. So do you have a facility already? You're looking for property. Is that right? Yes. I'm currently looking for property. Um whether we build new or, or remodel existing, I'm, I'm open to what God has because um, I have nothing at this moment. But uh, I do know, um, man, we're just looking to uh, get the doors open and, and start, you know, whatever that looks like. And you want it to be in Bartow County? Well, um, that's what I was sharing. Ned asked earlier, and, and when I first started this thing, I'm like, yes. Uh, but then I got to thinking, man, I, I don't want to put limitations on what God may have. Um I do know, like, I'm most familiar with Bartow County, the people in it, and, and stuff like that. But sometimes it's hard to get clean in your own backyard. So, um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm open um, to to what God may have. So I, I'm not narrowing that down. I don't want to put limitations on God. 
So if you're listening out there and you know of a place, either property or, or a building that they can remodel for that, um, he's also looking for a 12 to 15 passenger bus yes, as well. Uh, so you can help out in that way. Um, you and I are working on a fundraiser, as you mentioned earlier, in July on the 26th. Um, you're part of a great uh, church out there, Cross Point City Church, who's yes. um, graciously donated the facility. We're having a locker room chat the day in the life of an athlete. And right now, and, and guess our subject to change, but right now we've got six former NFL football players, two of which are Cartersville High School graduates, Ronnie Brown and Robert Levette. We also have a former professional soccer player coming as well as a rodeo rider. Um, and so that night's just going to be fun, uh, uh, fun as well as a, a night you can come and just talk to athletes, hang out with them. Uh, but the most important thing is help raise money for all in or all out ministry. So, um, more details to come on that. We'll get the ticket link up here soon. And, but businesses, we're looking for sponsors for that, um, as well. And we can, uh, you can get a hold of Kevin or myself. Um, my email address is Brian at bees and that's B E E S charitable com. And Kevin, if they want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Uh, it's all in with Kevin at gmail.com. So reach out to one of us, learn about that, how you can get involved and help, uh, Kevin, uh, with his ministry and helping other, men get back into society and, and overcome these these addictions so um i got a couple of questions that i want to ask the three of you again uh, about uh, before we wrap this up uh kevin first of all thank you for coming and sharing that thank that's you. uh like i said man wow it's just uh, awesome so you all three are entrepreneurs um with a nonprofit, with your own businesses so i'd like for each of you to share and dave we'll start back with you um, some give somebody advice who's wanting to start a business, especially somebody with a family. Because all three of you, and I didn't even ask you, but you current share, before we go to that, share about your family right now. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a blended family um, with with addiction. A lot of times, come divorce, so I've had my sh- uh, fair share of those. Uh, you can read the book to figure out how many, but um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah. So me and my wife, we currently have um, five kids together. Uh, the oldest uh, is 24, um, which I just found out Sunday that I'm going to be a granddad. Awesome. So, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, uh, and then her four are 18, 17, 15, and 14. So the youngest three are girls, and the 18-year-old just moved out with my son. So I'm in a house full of teenage girls and my wife so yay <laughs> we may need to get him some more help <laughs> all right so go back dave you start because you all have young kids uh give somebody advice who's thinking about starting a business and how they can balance starting a business and being a, a dad or a mom with a family yeah great question and thanks for having me follow kevin appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> um so so it's a lot right um there's a couple of things I would say, regardless of what you're going into, you need to be a student of your craft um, is you never stop learning. And once you think you know everything, that's the moment you become ineffective. Um, so consistently try to learn and, and better yourself in, in whatever career it is. Um, but there's a lot of rejection. And I'm sure that all of us have probably seen that building a business. There's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of negative, negative thoughts. Um, and when you focus on that, instead of what you're doing right, you, you, take the business back um, or it takes you much, much longer um, to, to reach your goals. So focus on the positive and whatever I said first. Yeah, there. <laughs> Student of the craft. There right, go. there you go. John? Yeah, I think um, 
kind of play to that too. You gotta you gotta play both sides of the rejection. You're certainly gonna get a lot of things that don't go the way you think, but you also have to learn when it's time for you to reject things. I made a lot of mistakes early on that we were kind of take all comers, and it was like, you know, we were doing a good job, we were doing it for a good price, we were building buildings, we were doing all this, and so <clears throat> there was a line out my door, you know, and in that version of the industry that I was in. And uh, next thing you know, I'm doing, you know, 18-hour days back-to-back. I'm working every Saturday and Sunday. You know, it's like I'm having to reintroduce myself to the wife and kids when I see them. If, if it's a daytime hour that I come walking in the house, like, hey, you know, I'm allowed in this house. I'm the guy that goes and, and pays the bills, you know. So um, you have to learn to to say, you know, set set pretty, pretty reasonable parameters for the, the business gets this much time, and it just can't take any more than that because if, if you don't – you know, as an entrepreneur, it's, it occupies you. It's the thing that's your newest project. And so it's so easy to get sucked into it and say, you know, I'm putting everything I got into this, but you owe, you owe some of what you got to someone else. And so, um, that was the hardest lesson for me. I I handled getting rejection from others pretty well, you know, send out a bid and they don't like it. Fine. Don't like it. Don't do it. That's fine. Uh, (laughs) it didn't really just bug me that much, but I had a much harder time with me saying no when it was time for me to say, hey, it's it's time for me to go home. And so, you know, your project is your project, but it's not, you know, that's not my baby. My baby's at home. And so that's where I'm going. So that would be the, the thing if I could go back and do it again. That I wish I had done better. And so that would be my advice to new people. Make sure you set the set your boundaries so that, that your home life doesn't have to suffer, even if the business does have to suffer. Right. Kevin, along with your answering that question, I'm going to throw in the a second part of that for you. If somebody's thinking about starting a nonprofit, if they have a, a passion like you had, uh, what advice would you give them both on being balanced with the family and then starting a nonprofit? Um, probably the big, biggest thing is uh, don't don't be scared to fail forward is, is what I call it. Um, you can't be scared of failure. You just got to learn from them, uh, you know, regroup and, and do something different. Um, so don't don't be scared to try something. Uh, you know, it may or may not work. You you don't know till you try it. So so don't be scared from that aspect. And and trying to balance a home life, man. I'm I'm horrible at this. Um, but uh, I, one thing that, that always sticks in my mind, even though I'm not good at it, is you know when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And most of the time, you're saying no to your family. And so that's something that I'm still trying to, you know, find a balance in and, and do. Uh, I'm good at listening and, and taking advice, but putting into practice is, is difficult, but yeah. So just, just don't be scared to, to go, man, follow, follow your, um, your passion, your heart and, and whatever that looks like, you know, some people are, are good at just jumping off the cliff and, and going and, and you may have to do it a little bit at a time. And that, that's what I've learned is, um, you know, it, it's been a little bit at a time and, and God keeps opening up a door, you know, here and there and, and, and you're able to, but just don't be afraid to go for it. And, and, you know, if you fail, learn from it and go again. How long did it take you to set your nonprofit up? Oh, let's see. I started last June. I think it's when I started the, um, process of, of trying to figure out, uh, how to set it up and, and do all that. So it, it took, you know, to actually get the 501c3 and, and everything, it probably took four or five months. But, I mean, here I am. Uh, well, I'm not very – I am good at math, but figuring <laughs> out what month it is. But, I mean, it's been almost a year. I mean, June is coming soon, so it's been almost a year. And, you know, I'm 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 not where I thought I would be and what I'd like. And so you just got to be patient. 
and and know that it's not your timing you know it's god's timing and and so learning that is also difficult so um you know i really thought i'd be full-time running at this thing and and doing it but um but you just got to be patient and know that it, that it does take time and and timing's right man i have a uh a clock that at home and it goes reverse so mm. when people look at it like it looks like they're like your clock's broke and i'm like nope I said, uh, I said the thing about that clock is it's right on time. I said it's the exact time. I said sometimes we feel like we're going backwards. Sometimes we feel like we're late or early. I said, but it's right on time, and it's God's timing and not our timing. So Awesome. All right, last question before we wrap this up for the three of you. Uh, I'd like for you guys to share, uh, other than what you just shared about the business part aspect and the balance, one uh, nugget, phrase, quote, Something positive to leave our listeners with for living today and the rest of this year and on with. So, Dave, what you got? Yeah. Um, kind of going back to what we've all said, there's a lot of negative news, not like negative thoughts. Um, it's focused on people because uh, people are what makes a difference. John? Yeah, I would say that uh, I always tell people just no matter what happens, 24 hours from now, it's going to be tomorrow. Just you know, take it at the pace it's coming. You can't, you know, you rushing around is not going to make things happen faster or slower. Just relax and let it happen and, and keep your mind and, you know, on, on the goals that you have. Kevin. I was trying to pull up my list, have a list of quotes, <laughs> man. I don't know which one to go with. Uh, cause, um, I don't know. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from, uh, uh, Greg Kershaw is, people are willing to follow someone who is real than someone who is right. Um, I may have butchered that, but that's the gist of it. And so I just try to be very transparent, uh, very open and honest uh, because, you know, it's just people would rather see that and hear that and believe in that than to someone who's, you know, just looking to say the right things or do the right, you know, feel like they're, you know, the status quo or whatever. I don't know. Right. So. Awesome. Well, Dave, John, Kevin, thanks for coming and sharing your stories. Everybody out there listening, let's remember, let's be positive. Let's be charitable.